You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. That is a book of the Bible in the New Testament. It's right after Philippians and right before 1 Thessalonians. Or um, it's in the table of contents if you need to go there. Don't feel bad uh, if you need to do that. Um, uh, I just don't ever uh, feel guilty if you, that's what it is there for. So use it. Uh, I hope... I hope um, Hope you can get to it. We'll get there here in just a moment. Uh, Josh McDowell, in his uh, best-selling book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, um, records 300-plus prophecies that Jesus fulfills, 300 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfills in the New Testament. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It's a bestseller. I believe it's actually been in reprint now with his son, um, uh, uh, Sean McDowell, um, Peter Stoner, he, he references this man several times uh, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But Peter Stoner has his own book. It's actually a classic called Science Speaks. And he says the odds of one man fulfilling just seven of the 300 prophecies, the odds of one man fulfilling seven of the 300 prophecies is, let me make sure I want to get this right, would be, the odds would be one in 100 quintillion. One in 100, that's a real number. One in 100 quintillion. That is one with 17 zeros behind it. That is the odds of one man fulfilling seven of the 300 Old Testament prophecies. Jesus has fulfilled them all. To give you a mental picture, uh, it would be like taking that, uh, that, that, we get the number again. That would be like taking the 100 quintillion, that would be like taking 100 quintillion, quintillion silver dollar coins and placing them all covering the entire state of Texas. It would stack up two feet tall. That's how much 100 quintillion is. That's a lot, right? Now, the odds of one man fulfilling seven would be like, let's say, let's take Logan, and he would get one of his teenagers and one of the kids in the youth group, uh, get them all hyped up on Red Bull and monster drinks, uh, blindfold them, and, and, um, and, and mark one of the silver dollars, like, like mark it in some form, mix it up in all of the silver dollars all over the state of Texas, two feet thick, two feet in height, just mix it in there somehow, some way, and then, and then take this teenager, spin him around, blindfold him, hype him up on Red Bull, and then send him across the tracks into Texas and say, go find that one coin. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling just seven. And Jesus fulfilled all 300. If, uh, Peter says this, that if you was to take just 48 of the 300, 
it would be like stacking silver dollars all over the state of Texas, and it would be 19 feet tall. Just 48. And Jesus fulfills all 300 prophecies. I've been saying this for some time, but, but God is a promise maker, and He is also a promise keeper. And Jesus Christ, the Son, is the fulfillment of the promise of a Savior. I like what Shane Pruitt, a friend of mine, has been saying on, on social media for, for the last couple of weeks. He says this, Jesus Christ's presence is the greatest present ever given. The presence of Jesus Christ is the greatest present that could ever be given to mankind. Without the birth of Jesus, God is unfaithful, and you and I would have no hope of ever being cleansed of our sin, of ever being forgiven of our sin. You and I, without the birth of Jesus, would have no hope of spending eternity with God in heaven. But listen, God is faithful. The same God who said that He is sending a Messiah has promised He is coming back. That that Messiah will return and He will bring His children to where He is. Listen to what Jesus says uh, three times in Revelation through the prophet John. Three times in the book of Revelation and Revelation 22 alone. Listen to what He says. 22.7 He says this, Look, I am coming soon. This is coming from the same lips that a Messiah is coming. Jesus being the Son of God. Jesus being God in the flesh who said He is sending a Messiah is now saying as the Messiah, I am coming back. And I'm not coming back at a certain date or a certain time. I am coming back soon. Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12, He says it as well. Look, I am coming soon. Revelation 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies about these things, being Jesus, says this, Yes, I am coming soon. The promise maker is a promise keeper. We celebrate this time of year the fulfillment of the promise of a Savior. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. Savior has been born. Cleanse us to purify us from all of our unrighteousness so that we can be in unity with God for all eternity. I want to ask you this question. I want, to be, I want you to just be challenged by this. I want you to wrestle with this question this morning. Are you living expectant of Christ's imminent return? Are you living expectant of Christ's imminent return? You can say, wait a minute, isn't that a little bit too uh, radical, that, that imminent return? No, no it, Jesus has said it three times in Revelation, just, just in Revelation 22 alone. Look, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. Listen, we ought to be living as if Jesus could come back at that very moment. And if not, he didn't come back at that moment. He'd come back at uh, he didn't come then. He could come back before the service is over and we ought to be living that way. And my question is this, are you living expectant of Christ's imminent return? Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And I want to read down through verse 17 and then we will come back and we'll, we'll unpack it. Look at what Paul says here. He says, for this reason also... Um, 
He has, been, he has been praising them because of their faith. He has been praising them and giving God praise because of, of this group of people, their, their, their faith in Christ, their, their love for one another, how the fruit of, of God's blessing, how the fruit of God's grace on them is, is growing, and, and how the faith is growing because of their witness. And then he says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, the things I was just speaking about, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge, underscore that word filled, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And I've highlighted all of verse 13. I love verse 13. Verse 13 says this, He has rescued us. I love that. How many of you, you know you have been rescued? I have been rescued Paul says this, he has rescued, and he he includes himself in this. He, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord, right? Let's keep going. He says in verse 15, here's Jesus' bio. If you wanted to read Jesus' biography, just a short little snippet of who Jesus is, look at verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him, being Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him, through Jesus Christ, and for Him, for Jesus Christ. Verse 17, He, again being Jesus, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that, and circle that, or, or underscore those two words, so that He might come to have first place in everything. God, would you speak to us through your word this morning. It's in your Son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Paul tells us here that, that Jesus is a king. That's what we see in this, this, little, this little snippet, this little bio snippet, that Jesus is king. Notice in verse 13, he says, he says a Christian is someone who has been transferred, transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. Now listen, kingdoms have kings, right? You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. And Jesus Christ is king. In verse 16, we are told that He is the creator over all thrones and 
all authorities, which means this, that He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is not only the King of those things, He is the Creator of those things. Therefore, He has the right to be the King. He didn't earn the right. He didn't deserve the right. The right wasn't passed down to Him. He is the Creator of those things. Therefore, He is the King of those things. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. What's interesting about this passage in verse 15 through 18, and we'll come back and we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail here in just a moment, but I just want you to see kind of a big picture here. What's interesting about verses 15 through the first part of verse 18, it tells us this, this, the kingship of Christ that is. He is the king. He is the creator. He is, uh, he is all of these things. He is the king that is is. And then in verse 18b, I had you underscore this. Look at, look at it with me. Uh, verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Here's 18b. So that he might come to have first place in everything. And so the first part of our text that we're looking at, the kingship of Christ that is, and then 18b tells us about a kingship of Christ that can be. You might, you might think for just a second, what do you mean? If he is the king of everything, he's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords, I want you to notice, he says, all of this is true so that he might come to have first place in everything. There is only one creature in all of God's creation that has the choice to make him first place in everything. And that is you and I. The question we have to ask ourselves is, man, He is King. We've been transferred into His kingdom. If we've been, we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves children of God, we've been transferred into His kingdom. He is creator of all of these things. He is King of all these things. Is He King? Does He have first place in everything in my life? That's where we need to wrestle with this. Does he have first place in everything in my life? He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords over all creation. But he needs to be. He can be. He desires you and I to submit to him as king, as Lord, if you will, as the manager, as the, as the, the king of kings of our personal life. There's the kingship of all of creation, the cosmos, if you will, of, of everything that's mentioned. And what the Apostle Paul says is because Christ is king of the cosmos, then he should also be. Here's, here's the point. Here's, it's not necessarily a contrast. He's just pointing to it. Since he is the king of the entire cosmos, he should also be the king of our personal life. Not just, not just something that we celebrate at Christmas as the king has been born. He is the king of our personal life. First of all, I want you to look at what he says about Jesus being the cosmic king. That we live in his kingdom. We're told in verses 16 and 17 that he is before all things. Um, this, is, this is profound, that, that, that Jesus is before all things. 
um, the, the Eastern religions and pretty much all of the other religions believe that Jesus uh, emanates from the world, that, 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 that he just comes out of the world, and that is false. And Paul is showing us that he is before all things. The, the true biblical religion sees God as having existed before the world, existing apart uh, from the world, being transcend, transcended over the world. He is before all things, the text says. Jesus didn't happen to come December 25th, some 2,000 years ago. Actually, we don't know the exact date. I'm just pointing to that. Jesus just didn't happen to come at that moment. Jesus has always been. He existed before all things. That's what Paul is showing to us. Secondly, it says this, for everything was created by Him. Everything was created. God is the Creator. Jesus being God in the flesh, therefore being one with God by Him, or, or some translations say, in Him, in Christ, all things hold together. He is before all things. Everything was created by Jesus Christ, and by Him, or in Christ, everything is held together. And verse 17 drives scientists crazy. They, they think we are mad for believing this. I, I like what, what this one scientist says. He's a German physicist, Warner Heisenberg. And it's a great German name, right? Heisenberg. Listen to what he says. The first gulp from the glass of natural scientists will turn you into an atheist. But watch this. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Isn't that good? The first gulp from the glass of natural, natural sciences will turn you into an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Eric Metaxas, an um, author, a prolific author, a radio talk show host, does all kinds of, does all kinds of stuff. He wrote, a, he wrote a great article in the Wall Street Journal several years ago, a couple of years ago. Here's the title of his article. Science increasingly makes the case for God. Listen to this statement that Eric Metaxas makes. In 1966, Time Magazine ran a cover story asking, Is God dead? Many have accepted the cultural narrative that he's obsolete, that as science progresses, there is less need for a God to explain the universe. Yet it turns out that the rumors of God's death were premature. More amazing is that the relatively recent case for his existence comes from a surprising place, science itself. I love how science is, in some places, is starting to see how truth, how much truth is in the Bible. Metaxas goes on to make this case from Scripture that God holds everything together. He says it this way, He is the glue that keeps the universe together. That's Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who was before all things, all things were created by Him, and all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the glue that holds all things together. Someone might say, by looking or listening to the news, you might say, well, He's not doing a very good job. I mean, just look at the headlines. There's constant fighting in the Middle East. Political unrest 
all around the world, especially right here in our own country. Political unrest that is bleeding over into our churches, that are bleeding over around the dinner table, especially around holidays like what we're in right now. It's like, I mean, you just don't even kind of want to mention it around the the table that someone might throw a turkey leg at you because you said the wrong political statement. Racial tensions are at an all-time high turmoil with jobs and family situations. And some might say that, you know, I'm not even thinking about the world. My own family, my own world, my own little world is falling apart. There's death in the family. There's cancer. There's divorce. There's wayward children. I want you to write this statement down. I want you to remember this. Order isn't the absence of negative circumstances. Order isn't the absence of negative circumstances. Order is, is things staying together when negative circumstances happen. That's order. Order is things staying together when negative circumstances happen. Look at verse 16. Chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Again, for everything was created by him, Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. Watch this. And by him all things hold together. Look at your own life. Is your life in order or is it chaotic? Is it falling apart? And here's what Paul is saying. Now listen to me closely because what I'm going to say could be misunderstood. So hear what I'm saying very closely. To the, degree, to the degree you have your life under the kingship of Christ, to that degree your life will hold together. Let me say that, to get, so let me say that again. To the degree you have your life under, submitted to the kingship of Christ, to that degree your life will hold together. And to the degree you are not under his lordship, not under his kingship, and not under his mastery, and not under his obedience, to that degree your life will fall apart. Let me somewhat summarize those two statements. What makes your life fall apart, hear me well, is not what happens to you. What makes your life fall apart is not what happens to you, but the absence of the glue. The absence of the glue in your life when trouble happens. Do you remember what the glue is? It's Jesus. All things were created through Him, by Him, and for Him. All things hold together through Him. Jesus is the glue that holds our life together. Jesus is the glue that will hold our country together. Jesus is the glue that will hold our state together. Jesus is the glue that will hold this city together. Jesus is the glue that will hold this church together. Jesus is the glue that will hold our families individually, our corporately as a church body. Jesus is the glue that will hold it all together. And when we get rid of the glue, when we step out of the kingship, out of the lordship of Jesus Christ, Life happens to us and we fall apart because the glue is missing. By Him, all things hold together. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things. He's given them some hard instruction. 
I've told you these things so that in me you, have, you may have peace. Listen to what he says. You will have suffering. I memorized this in the NV, NIV. It says, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. But CSB says this. In this world you will have suffering, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. You see, it's, as Christians, it's not that we, will, that we will be shielded from trouble. No, 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 listen. We will have trouble, but when we have the glue, when we are underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, we will conquer. We will have victory in the midst of trouble as we travel through trouble. Why do we have trouble? Because we're in a foreign country. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not our home. We are foreigners. And the more we try to live as natural citizens in this home, the more struggle we're going to have. This is not our home. This is not our kingdom. We're in God's kingdom. And He is our King. So listen, what you do, how you respond, in relation to what happens to you is directly dependent on how much under the kingship of Jesus Christ you're in. Let me say that again. What you do, how you respond, in relation to what happens to you is directly dependent on how much under the kingship of Jesus Christ you are in. Think with me for just a second. Job. You guys know the story of Job? Job lost everything that he had except for three friends that he wished he wouldn't have had and a wife who was bickering at him. Job loses everything. And his first response, oh, he's under the lordship of God. He is, God is his king. God is his master. His first response is, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, may that be our response when trouble comes. What a sign, what an evidence that we are under the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. By Christ, by Christ. Oh, please don't forget this. Don't, don't miss this. By Christ, all things hold together. Meaning this, trouble can come, but it will not destroy. Trouble can come into your life, but it will not destroy you. Trouble can come in your life, but it will not separate you from God. Trouble can come in your relationships, but it doesn't have to destroy your relationship. Jesus Christ is the glue. By Christ, all things hold together. And what's interesting, in, in verses 9 through 14, it's, it is a prayer. Paul is praying. He's, he's writing to them this prayer that he is praying for them. But if you look closely at this prayer, here's what you will find. It is, it is somewhat of a, a little handbook or, or, or a blueprint for how you can bring yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is, it is a, a step-by-step instruction manual on how we can do this, how we can be more obedient of making him the king of our life. Look with me, verse 9. For this reason, Paul says also, since the day we heard this, we heard about your faith, we heard about the fruit of God's grace on you and how it's growing in your area. Since we heard this also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. This is, this is 
Here's what Paul's saying. I don't want you to settle for just knowing that your sins have been forgiven and you will spend eternity with God in heaven. That is great. That is good. And praise God for all of that. But Paul is saying there is so much more knowledge that you need to have uh, for about God, that you, you want to have about God. And he is saying this, I am praying that you would be filled with a knowledge of his will Think that out, His will for your life in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I've used this illustration before, but I want to use it again. I think it fits so well here. When you rent a car, if you've ever rented a car, you know that um, you don't fill the car, you don't fill the gas tank up the same way you fill your gas tank up. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm a little OCD when I'm filling the gas tank up. It has to, you know, it has to end in zeros. I try to get to the dollar, and it makes me as mad as all get out when it gets to 3001. Anybody else? And so you shake the car, you bump the car, you press down on the car to try to at least get it to, to 3025. I mean, a quarter or, or 50 cents. It's really not that hard with gas prices as they are today. But when you rent a car, it, they just say it has to be on full. How many of you know that when you look at your gas gauge, there is full and then there's like really full, right? So when you put gas in a rental car, I don't know about you, but I leave it running and I have the door open and I'm watching and I'm pumping. I don't care if it's $7.17, I'm stopping as soon as that little red needle gets over there to the F. You with me? Listen, God doesn't want us rental car full. He wants us full to the overflowing of who He is. Why? Because the more we know about who God is, the more we will love Him. And the more we love God through the knowledge of Him, the more we will want to obey Him. When you love somebody, you want to obey what they have commanded you to do. So Paul is saying here, we are asking, that you may be filled. So how do we bring ourselves under the kingship of Christ? That we be filled with the knowledge of God's will for our life. And you get an A today. You're here. <laughs> You're filling your mind and your heart with the knowledge of God. Don't ever take what we are doing here today for granted. God has a purpose for today more than us just going through a Sunday, preaching another sermon, sitting in another pew. Oh, He's got so much more for us. Look at verse 10. He says this, so that, I want you to grab this knowledge, I want you to be filled to the overflowing with this knowledge, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. So, so how can we be under the Lordship? How can we be under the kingship of Jesus Christ? By being filled with the knowledge of God, and then bearing fruit of that knowledge. I don't know about you, but I, I want there to be more love in my life for, for brothers and sisters in Christ. I want there to be more love in my life for lost people. I want there to be more today than there was yesterday. And I, want to, I want, definitely want there to be more than there was in a, year from, from a year ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago. And you just take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
I want all of that growing. I want that fruit. I want to bear more fruit. And the the more I am under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it will be seen in bearing fruit. In all of those areas and many more that I mentioned. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened. Here's his prayer for them. I'm praying for you that you would be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. What is, what is Paul saying here? What's his prayer? He, he's saying there's a process. Too often we get caught up, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, getting caught up in a, in a comparison trap. Man, I'm not as good as that Christian. Or, whoa, I'm a lot better than that so-called Christian. And Paul is saying here, like, like there's, there is a, there's a process here. Being a Christian is a process of understanding what the will of the king is. And with greater and greater understanding and willingness to obey King Jesus. Don't, don't get sidetracked that I'm not at perfection. No, enter into the process of growing in your knowledge and your love and your obedience and your bearing fruit. Listen, in order to get fully under His Lordship, there's this process. All of your life, you learn more of what His will is, more of what His desire is for your life. What the Bible teaches. How does it apply to this part of my life? How does it apply to to, to my family? How does this apply to my my career? How does this apply to my future? How does this apply to, to retirement? On and on and on, we are able to apply God's Word. And Paul says this, is as you do that, as you walk more and more pleasing to the one who is showing you more and more his will, you will grow. There will be endurance. There will be patience. There will be power. And the Apostle Paul is showing us your life, as all of those things grow, your life becomes more and more under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's, let's be honest, that's counterintuitive in our culture today. Our culture today says this, I'm the king of my life. I am the maker of my life. Uh, there's a, there's a, a mantra that says this, if it's going to be, then it's up to me. There's a, a bootstrap mentality that, that, man, I just need to pull myself up by, by the bootstraps and then I can, I can get going. That's, that, is, that is opposite to what Scripture is saying. You are not the king of your life. You haven't always been. All, you were not created by yourself. In all things, most definitely, testimony time, right? I mean, we could have testimonies all around this room. Like, I tried to hold this together, and I failed. Right. But that's our culture today. It says, I'm the king of my life. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 12. Paul goes on in this prayer. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance and the like. And here's that. Oh, I love this part. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. I want you to think about this for a second. The same one who has rescued you from your sin, the same one who has broke the chains of your sin, hopefully, sins in your life, multiple, is the same one who's calling you 
and allow Him to be the Lord of your life. He has created you. He has rescued you. He has broke the chain. He has brought you into His kingdom. You didn't have to work to get your way there. He initiated it. He has brought you into His kingdom. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Verse 14, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's Paul coming and he's saying, if you're a Christian, you have been made worthy. You are qualified. You are qualified for God to be your king. I love that. It's not that God wasn't, God wasn't standing up in heaven and, and lowering down a ladder and saying, you work up each one of the wrongs to get to me. No, no, what did God do? God sent His Son, born of a virgin, His one and only Son, His, His perfect Son, to be a sacrifice for us. And when His blood is shed for us, when His blood is covering us, then we qualify. At that moment, we qualify to be His children. We qualify. There's nothing we could have done. It is all by what God has done. I want to ask you this morning. I just want to close with this question. Have, have, you, have you accepted the gift, the precious gift of Jesus Christ? Beyond, beyond a mind knowledge, I'm talking about have you, have you accepted Him as, as, as your Savior, but, but also as your Lord, allowing Him to, to hold your life together? Going, man, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Here's the beauty. We don't have to understand it all. He's created it all. All things were created by Him, for Him. And through Him, He holds all things together. We just have to submit to Him. Surrender our life to Him. Have you done that this morning? If not, let today be the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are here this morning, you have done that. I want to ask you, are you living expectant of Jesus' imminent return? If Jesus was to come back at this very moment, could you say, you are the Lord of my life? Oh, listen, let today be the day. Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe you've been taking God for granted and you've just kind of just been going through the motions. Oh, he wants so much more of that. He wants to be your king. Let him be your king. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.